Hi besties, Anna Rose here. Welcome to the first ever episode of Silver Linings Daily. This show is one of the many we're going to be premiering and continuing. Shout out to the gals of Sunday Tea and the boys of Bond with Brennan as part of our second phase of Quarantine FM. Anyone who's been keeping track over the past year knows that Quarantine FM is slash was a pirate radio station founded in March 2020 by me in my bedroom when the first COVID lockdowns happened. It goes without saying at this point, but we never thought we'd be in an identical place restrictions wise a full year later. And yet here we are. F's in the chat girlos. From my perspective and from the perspective of the team, QFM has been the thing that's really kept us going this past year. So if you're a long-term listener, which I know many of you listening to this will be, thanks so much for tuning in. And thank you for continuing to tune in. Um, Our final broadcast day in our original pirate radio format was the 21st of March, 2021 the spring equinox 2021 and over the past three weeks we've been working away on creating phase two which you're listening to right now this show silver linings daily is my new qfm phase two long form interview show so kate mila falcha um this show and the concept for it is born out of the hundreds of conversations i've been really lucky to be able to have over the past year on QFM with my uh, interviewees slash guests slash whatever you want to call them. Um, the biggest common theme that I noticed coming up again and again and again was adversity. More specifically, overcoming adversity. It's always darkest before the dawn quote unquote, is the phrase I'd probably use to sum up the wisdom I've accrued from a year of conversation. And that's relevant here and relevant now, in my opinion, because I think, or at least I hope, fingers and toes crossed everyone, that we're approaching the dawn, as it were, of the whole COVID experience. This past year has been so dark in so many ways. It's been uncertain and tragic and really lonely as well being in lockdown for this long Um, and a global event of this scale will have fallouts that will shape the whole of the next century and probably the whole of the future of civilization Uh, it's not hyperbole to say that academics will be writing theses on this 2020 slash covid time for the next half millennium if not more because if you think about it we're still studying and still talking about the bubonic plague which was a minute ago. So living history, welcome everyone. (laughs) Um, When bad things happen, sometimes it feels like there's no way out, but there always is. Similarly, when we see people achieve mad, incredible things, or even not mad, incredible things, just when we see people achieve things that we ourselves would like to achieve, they can seem lofty or unreachable or unattainable but they're not not necessarily because someone has to do them so on this show I'll be speaking with the most fascinating people I can find about those lows that seemed like endings and how they got through them and those highs that they thought were only the stuff of dreams but that they've reached and how they got there up first 
Stuart Clark. Stuart Clark is deputy editor of Hot Press magazine and he has a long and very exciting career in music. Um, from turning tables on pirate radio to meeting David Bowie himself, Stuart has seen everything, met everyone and done it all. And I'm so excited that he joins us right now on Zoom. Hello, Stuart. Hello. Yes, those things are, are mainly true, I think. Uh, though I didn't get to meet everybody. I, I, I came very close to meeting Johnny Cash and didn't. And that's one of my big wow. regrets. But hey, you know, he got away. How did you not meet Johnny Cash? How did you well, almost and then not? I saw him in Limerick when his career was in the doldrums. He played the concert hall there to 700 people with the Carter Cash family and Chris Christopherson supporting. It was just bizarre. And there was talk of... Who actually my generation will know from being in one of the original uh, A Star Is Born. That's right. Yeah. It was an incredible bill. I mean, one of the best things I've been to. And there was talk of Johnny doing an interview. I was working for a local paper at the time, but unfortunately his voice was a bit sort of hoarse and he wanted to, to save it for the gig. And actually, he is the single most charismatic person I've been in a venue with. The guy was bolt upright. He came on stage with the guitar sort of hanging down in that trademark pose. And I've seen a lot of kind of big names because I'm old down through the years. And mm. he just blew me away. There was an aura about the man. Could you put your finger on exactly what it was that made him so charismatic? I suppose, I mean, physically he's imposing. Um, he's one of these people I can't think about in the past tense, by the way, like David Bowie. As far as I can see, David Bowie still exists. He's still alive. Um, physically imposing, um, good looking guy, but it is that sort of X factor. You really can't put your finger uh, on with any sort of finality yeah well i mean at least you got to see him perform live that's an incredible privilege i wish i could have seen that no as i say it was just really really fantastic and i, I nearly didn't make the gig as well <laughs> there's all sorts of things going on there was a there was a friend of mine denise who basically said stuart you are going and i was like yeah. well, uh, and she frog marched me there and every time i see <laughs> denise i just thank her I, I babysit I for her, uh, I, I make meals for her, I do everything. I still have that debt of gratitude to pay off and I will do for the rest of my life. <laughs> that's worth it. I mean, that's a really, really, really special gig to have announced. Sh shout out to Denise. What's her surname, Denise? Um, Denise, what's her married name now? Oh God, I can't remember now. But Denise, if she's listening, will know. Denise, um, yeah, she yes. knows who she is. Shout out yes. to her. Um, so Hot Press Magazine and COVID-19. We're recording this at Wednesday, the 24th of March. Um, we're currently in lockdown three. Um, before we get into the deep stuff, or we could even get into the deep stuff on this, how have you found the whole lockdowns and COVID and all that? All that? I mean, it is horrible. There's no two ways about it. Um, I, I, I'm fortunate so far that it's not directly uh, touched me. A couple of scares in the family, but it's all worked out okay. And I'm acutely aware of people who have lost uh, loved ones. Yeah. Um, we are deemed essential workers in the media. So uh, there's a skeleton crew of us uh, coming into the office every single day. And I think that's been very good for my mental health. Um, I, I do live just outside 5K, about 5.5K, but as I say, an essential worker. Um, so mm -hmm. so that, that has been really, really good. Um, trying to make sense of it all, you know, in terms of, of the industry that I, I'm working in. And, and again, I'm aware that Hot Press is, is operating, uh, you know, as best it can. And I know so many people who work in the live music sphere. Um, and often, you know, you find that because it's a weird sort of job and you're working abnormal hours, or you're on the road, 
you get a lot of relationships, which are two people who work in live music or two people yeah. who work yeah. in a venue. Um, so, you know, they've lost both incomes. Um, bit by bit, the supports have improved. Bit by bit, the grant money is trickling down. But realistically, it's not enough for a lot of people to, to, to live on. Because if you have a certain lifestyle, you've been working at a reasonably well-paid job, bloody, bloody, blah, and you suddenly lose it. A lot of self-employed people in the business as well who are freelance. I think they've been left behind somewhat in other countries. They, they've done things like look at your freelance earnings for three years and, and average it out, whereas here yeah. that's, that's not the case. So I think a lot of people in the industry who are freelance in particular have been left behind. But that's the, the same in, in, in any profession. Freelancers have not been looked after uh, like staff members have. But that's, that's a grumble, I suppose, that you know, a lot of people have. Well, also, it's funny. Um, I don't know if you agree with this, but something I keep harping on about is the fact that we've been put into lockdown and the incentive for us being in lockdown is the wealth of creativity that's out there. You know, kind of everything that's on Netflix and plays that we can watch from home and music we can listen to and live stream gigs of which Hot Press have done some really, really fabulous ones. Um, and yet the people who are making all that stuff are the ones who are suffering particularly badly in this pandemic and that's something that i don't know i, I don't, don't know if you agree with that or not yeah i mean it, it's true if there's any upside to what we've been through is that people i think in the best possible way people thought of music as like turning on a tap water electricity yeah i suppose you, you pay for some of those yeah but we take it in the best possible way for granted and i think that we we have all realized collectively just how important great art is and great yeah. music is mm -hmm. And also, um, it's interesting, I, I call them civilians. I don't mean that in a nasty way, but someone who's not involved in the industry. You know, yeah. again, what, what, why should they particularly worry if every single musician or person working in the industry is making money, that they're, they're doing their own things? But a lot of people are going, oh, my God, I, I never quite realized how little money people are on. You know, you can yeah. be in, in the top 20 and uh, I won't name the band, it would be unfair, but there was a, an Irish band who, who, who were regularly getting top 20 placings across Europe, were playing six o'clock at big festivals in, in Japan and other countries. And I asked one of the lads very rudely one day over a pipe, I said, you know, what, what do you bring out of this? He said, oh, you know, 16, 17 grand a year. Wow. Now, that's quite good money. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, yeah. you can be in the top 20 and, and not obviously earning a living. We've seen with all the musicians moving to Berlin because they can't afford rents here. There's a huge crop of Irish musicians in Berlin. Um, yeah, but a huge crop of Irish creatives in general have gotten to Berlin. I know so many people who've gone over there and I've seen so many people on social media going over there. It's because they can afford rents and rehearsal spaces. But I, I think civilians are now realizing, oh, okay, Spotify is not enough. And they're going, oh, Spotify, okay, it's a promo tool. And if you're, you know, hosier, you get a nice royalty check. Yeah. But I think people are realizing now that a lot of people that to really support an independent artist, obviously when the gigs come back, you, you vote with your wallet that way. Yeah, but 100%. buying T-shirts and, and physical product and, and vinyl. And, and Bandcamp Fridays. You know, I was just going to say Bandcamp has become a, a kind of a lockdown phenomenon. Yeah. And it, it's allowing people to survive. What's also been interesting is like nobody wanted this and we don't want it in the future. No. But no. I'm quite struck by 
musicians who went, okay, I, I could either admit defeat here and just kind of give up, or I'm going to harness this. We've actually seen, um, you know, household names emerge during lockdown, Denise Chyla yeah. and, and CMAP being two that leap mm -hmm. to mind, who, who were able and smart enough and had the support around them to, to be able to kind of, do the web streams, do stuff in the bedrooms. 100%. And, yeah. And, and, and even, you know, the Rolling Stones zoomed in to do a live session yeah. rather than spending six months in Jamaica with a film crew. They just sent someone around with a, 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 a phone to, to, to cycle around the streets of London to do a yeah. video. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even they embraced the technology. And I think in a little way, the barrier between artist and, and, and fan has actually broken down in many cases. You know, yeah. you don't have the, the, the intimacy of a gig, but the ability to be able to tune in and see somebody in their bedroom. We, we, we did this, this Van Morrison bizarre idea that Niall came up with 75 songs for Van 75th. And I was going, <laughs> how is this going to work? Well, yeah. the answer is extremely well. Yeah, it was and amazing. I, 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 you know, I, I, I wouldn't know how Andrea Core would have reacted to a phone call two years ago, but mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not hundred percent certain she'd have gone. You know what? I'll just do a song in my bedroom with a mandolin, and I'll send it back to you tomorrow. Um, everybody suddenly realised, you know, we can actually do stuff really quickly. Mm. I can stay up all night and put the song out there, and people can just go, "I like it," or "I don't." And I think quite a few musicians have found that liberating, although they'd much rather get back to what they had yeah. before. And I think actually another great example of creating something in lockdown is what Ruth Ann has done with Irish Women in Harmony. Ah, they brilliant. All, all these incredible women just recorded literally on a similar setup than that what we're on right now, a home mic, a home Zoom call, and sent it in, and they had this incredible hit. How did Ruth Ann mix that? I mean, it's one thing I if there's four no of you. Idea. If you're the Rolling Stones, there's only four. And you've probably got an extremely experienced, you know, yeah. uh, mixer. But Ruth Ann, of course, I mean, you know, her, her career is incredible. She works yeah. at the highest level. But to take 30 different sources where each piece of audio is going to be EQ'd differently yeah. and to somehow kind of marry it all together and make it sound like a million dollars. And again, you know, another lady who, who, who sort of, you know, um, has emerged this year who's involved with that Tulu Mackay um yes, you know somebody else we, yes amazing we, I we, love her. we didn't know about and and um you know emerged um so so that's fantastic and I mean you know um I think radio most radio stations have, have played a blinder um during lockdown there's an intimacy and you know for instance like today FM something quite magical has happened because of lockdown. They, they, they've really risen to, to the occasion. And, um, you know, I listen to things like iRadio around the country and beat. Again, they, they, they kind of adapted really well. There's an inter intimacy that they've developed with their listeners. And they've also actually tried to do their best. I mean, we, we, we have question marks, obviously, over gender parity and airplay. But the amount of Irish music has, I think, been creeping up. And I, I've been quite impressed with how early um, some of the, the regional radio stations are in sort of championing, you know, sort of new artists. And uh, one of the things, of course, which helps is we now have a bona fide pop scene. We have, uh, it's just been incredible. I mean, pop uh, used to be sort of boys own or Westlife, both dirty words in my book. I, you know, I, I admire Louis, I know. And we have a, a good old 
slagging match down through the years. He calls me Lemmy, thinking it's an insult. I, I take it as a great compliment. What does that and I admire mean, what he Lemmy? did. With his, I, I, I look like Lemmy from Motorhead, um, oh. which I, I, I possibly do when, I, when I've been out on, on, on the beer. I don't um, think it's ever Lemmy never looked look like a famous rock star. I think that's a good thing. <laughs> But I, I love Lemmy, so. Um, but, you know, all of a sudden, you've got to say to pick a, a radio station, Spin. And a few years ago, you're thinking, well, what do they play this Irish that fits in with the Rihannas of this world? Yeah. Now you've got Bobby Arlo, you've got Pastiche, you've got Gemma Dunleavy, you've got all these fantastic artists who um, are playable on these stations. And, and it's smart, intelligent pop. Uh, you know, sung by the people who write the songs, who've got mm -hmm. a vision. You know, they're not just thinking musically, they're thinking of the the visuals. I go back to Seema. I mean, she's just so smart and how she presents herself. The pink the vinyls. I loved the pink vinyls. Genius. Uh, anything on coloured vinyl to be... I'd probably buy Boizo if it was on sort of, you know, red, splattered, clear vinyl. It, it makes music sound better. But, you know, and, and these videos are being made for Nortpence Hapney. Uh, and, and they're really, really watchable. And, 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 and videos have become a currency of music again. There's no TV station showing them, but they're shared yeah. so much and the numbers kind of accumulate. So um, I, I think there's been a lot of creativity um, during lockdown. And, and, and hopefully that'll you know, carry through when we get back to whatever the new normal is going to be. I hate that phrase. I hate it too. I hope the new normal isn't going to be some type of sci-fi i hope it's going to be resembling all the good parts of the old normal uh, absolutely and i hope we just don't overnight forget some of the things that united us during lockdown you know well, yeah, music and, in particular yeah and as we've been saying live music is really important because literally as you said unless you're hosier spotify is not paying for anything and even for hosier spotify probably is a very small percentage of his um his overall takings or earnings or whatever so live events it's very important that they come back so musicians a lot of people not musicians in the context of this conversation but a lot of people in general are having a tough time in lockdown so um the format of this show is we talk about high points and low points how we got the how we got to the high points and how we got through the low points so let's start with a low point Stuart can you think of a low point in your life and how you got through it well, I suppose the lowest point, I was 15 and my dad died very suddenly from a heart attack. And, and it is pertinent so because, ah, you know, worse things happen. And I was very lucky to have a, a, a great family um, around me and, and, and lots of friends and everything. But I, I wouldn't say I had a difficult relationship with my dad, but he was a high power businessman. And I was a snotty nosed kid who either wants to be a rock star or a radio DJ or, or write for a rock magazine. And, He'd come from a very poor background, extremely poor. Uh, Battersea, which is now known as South Chelsea, but Battersea, it was in the, in the 60s, out, outdoor toilets and, and all sorts of things. And um, he only got his education through a series of, of scholarships, and he had a, quite a high-flying job with, with bird's eye. Um, bit dull, but it paid the bills and looked after us. Uh, uh, Dad was kind of like, you want to be a radio DJ? But... He, he wouldn't indulge me if I said something just there and then, but if I repeated it over sort of six months or a year, he'd go, okay, right, he actually's into this. So yeah. shortly before he died, God bless him, he, he said, okay, I'm taking you down to the local hi-fi shop. And he bought me my first microphone, 
my first mixer, my first tape machine, my first record deck, and as I, I was able to start making little DJ things, and and and, and uh, life as a pirate uh, radio DJ started shortly after that. And if he had not taken the interest, uh, you know, then maybe I wouldn't be here now. So from something awful, I suppose something sort of good came out of it, and and. I think we'd have got each other now. He, he was a voracious reader of newspapers and current affairs, which I found dull as a 15-year-old. Although that said, we, we did share an interest in the space race. And I can remember sitting down with him to watch the, the first moon landing, which would be an absolute childhood uh, highlight for me. So uh, good old Frank Leonard. Um, he, he, he really helped me, um, you know, and, and went to the grave not knowing that I was going to end up sort of doing this for a career. And I, I thank him for that. How long before he passed away did he buy you the microphone and the mixer and all that kind of stuff? About a year and a half. So he, he saw me up in my bedroom and he'd show an interest and poke his head around the door. And he also bought me a ridiculously sort of flash radio as well for, for birthday so I could tune into stations from all, all sorts of weird places, plus little pirates that, you know, were, were hard to hear. Um, and the other thing that was a big influence um, for, for me when I was 10 or 11 and, uh, was, was hearing these offshore pirate radio stations, um, the boat that rocked. And there were different generations mm. of these, these pirate stations. It sounds a bit like, why do you need them? We've got internet now. But of course, back in the 70s. So there's Radio Caroline and about three or four others off the coast of Holland. And I was just mesmerized by this idea of people on a boat and uh, yeah. that led to me in 1988, just doing the one stint on uh, Radio Caroline in the North Sea uh, on a thousand ton trawler, about 14 miles off the coast. Wow. All highly illegal, all great fun. <laughs> um, we had to wear balaclavas all the time on, on board because there's telephoto lenses pointing at us from sort of um, um, you know, police kind of launches and all sorts mm. of stuff. Uh, we, had to, we were smuggled in and out of the country and all this kind of a thing. It was real, real boy and indeed girls on uh, adventure. And that was probably Sorry, the, yeah. the most bizarre thing I've done in my life. That, 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 that was great fun. Um, the boat that rocks, the movie that came out, life yeah. on board was nothing like it, but it, it looked like Radio Caroline did. Yeah. So, you know, it's got the feel of the look. Um, but we, we didn't get up to those kind of hijinks, thank goodness, because some of them were deeply unpleasant and very sexist. Yeah. Do you th did your father share your love of music and radio, or when he when he got you that gear, was he being supportive? What place was he coming at that from? He was being supportive. Now he was quite into. He he, he was a bit of a sort of a, a Cold War buff, and he used to listen to sort of Radio Moscow. He wasn't really into pirate radio. So he he, he did understand that the tuning into weird and, and wonderful um, sort of radio stations. I think he knew it was was kind of creative. I mean, my parents, God bless them, had the worst uh, record collection ever. It was just what, what terrible. Was what was in it? Oh, it was James Galway and Val Dunican <laughs> and Des O'Connor. But 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 they How had. How dare you slander James Galway? This <laughs> I'm with your father on this, hundred percent. Get that solid golf flute out, Addy. Oh god! But they did. They had two albums though. That that one was a Johnny Cash prison recordings album, and one was the Ennio Morricone, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly soundtrack. So actually. There were two things because there's very few records to play that I played, yeah. and, and I have, I've had that love of both Johnny Cash and your Morricone, you know, right through my life. So I, I thank him for that. But Jesus, it was pretty grim. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think the fact that he was so supportive of you in that way? Do you think it's 
gotten you to where you are today because it's it's so interesting to me the idea that you had this childhood dream and you've achieved it you wanted to be uh you write for a music magazine you wanted to be a DJ pirate radio and you've done all that and it was kind of you know it was a gift that your father gave you do you think that maybe his passing was what spurred you on to follow that dream to the fullest of your ability well i'll be quite honest with you i mean whilst dad was very supportive at that level i think he thought it was a hobby and and i think if it had come to you know 17 or 18 and i was saying to him look i'm going to go work on a pirate radio ship he probably wouldn't have thought that's a very good career move and i think well, he would have probably pushed quite hard for me would think that it was a particularly good career move to go and work on a pirate radio ship i mean what even is that you know well, I, th- I think he probably would have been sort of like uh, sort of saying, look, you know, get a BBC radio graduate program. Yeah. So maybe I'd be on the BBC World Service or something now <laughs> rather than ha- having done the pirate stuff. I mean, the pirate radio thing, th- th- there's two things. One, it was creative and, and there's no, well, nobody telling you what to do. But there was, there's always a hierarchy to make good radio, you yeah, know, yourself. Course, yeah. You have yeah, yeah. to adhere to certain rules and, and, and standards. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, the, the, the illegality, of course, it was a slight appeal, a big appeal. You know, you feel like you're, yeah. you're waving two fingers at something. Um, but also, I, I think, you know, in terms of getting your foot in the door, and I, I'm not encouraging young people to rush out and buy transmitters they could find on the Internet. Um, no. just, being on the, just being on the air and making mistakes and people laughing at you, it was yeah. a great way to learn. I knew people who went to radio college. And they always said, look, we learned more on Radio Caroline in a week than we did at three years at Radio mm-hmm. College. There's something about the, the, the red light going on and knowing this signal is going somewhere that yeah. you, you can't recreate. And I, I think internet radio is fantastic. I'm still so sad that I have a big radio at home. I could listen to a lovely stereo stream of a radio station from America but I'd rather stay up till four o'clock in the morning with a weird bit of wire dangling out the window to hear it live. But I'm, I'm strange. Yeah. That's, 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 thank you for sharing that about your father. <laughs> no, really. It's, it, it, uh, it, it's, it really, it's really struck a chord actually. I think, and I think it will with the listeners as well. I want to ask you about kind of dealing with loss. Cause that's something that's been a huge theme of this past year theme is a terrible word to use so I apologize um but a lot of people have lost people do you believe in a higher power do you believe in you know your father looking over you or any of that kind of stuff I I I don't know I I I find just living a normal life hard enough without devoting too much time to the big questions yeah I I think kind of you know I, I suppose part of him's in me i mean biologically it is i don't know you you kind of think that there's a possibility and uh you know i I would give anything to sit down and shoot the breeze with him because it would be a very different relationship to the one we had i didn't have a bad relationship but it was it wasn't the full monty that you you kind of have now in terms and my mum's lovely says oh your father would be very proud of you and that that's kind of like when Mm. she says that she doesn't say it very often uh, it, it, it feels sort of lovely. But I, you know, as I say, it was a terrible thing to happen. But I, but I had a man who provided for his family, um, gave a lot of love, um, you know, probably sacrificed his health for us. And you know yeah. what? 
you can't argue with that. He he was a good man. So um, as I say, uh, it was. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm getting a bit teary talking about him, so that's a good thing. You know, all these years later, I still yeah. care and, and feel. But sometimes you feel guilty. And I think with, with loss, one of the things that can happen is you almost feel guilty getting back to a normal life. And I've had this conversation with so many people who've lost loved ones. And you're kind of going, look, seriously, they would want you to be out having fun. Yeah. And if you're having a laugh, it's part of the grieving process. And if, if you're having a laugh two months afterwards, well, great. Why, why, you know, don't try and make yourself wait two years to have a laugh. Mm. If it's coming naturally and there are moments in the day that you can forget what's happened and actually have a bit of joy. Sadly, we, we have a lot of people um, trying to deal, you know, with all this, the COVID deaths at the moment, um, you know, and, and, and genuinely, I think, I think anybody, you know, pretty much, you know, once you're over about, 15 or 16 will experience some kind of a loss from grandparents to fathers to, to really close people. Uh, I, I've had, um, I was having a long conversation the other day. Uh, we, we might talk about new music in a while, but 100%, um, yeah. with, with David Valf, for those I love, um, who oh, has written. He's an incredible artist. He's amazing. I love him. He's just the most amazing guy. And we, we had a good hour long Zoom. His album is out um, Friday, the oh, March 20 book. I forget, but it's out sort of this week. Um, and uh, he's written this album um, pretty, pretty much about his friend who, who, who died. It's kind of a sort of concept album. Um, yeah. extremely powerful sort of stuff. And, and uh, you can see that, 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 that David is, is, is sort of struggling, um, but he was making the point that lots of other people are. And he said, there's no rule book for grief. Everybody grieves differently, you know, um, and if you're, you know, you'd hope it's not going to be the two or three years of, of, of agony, which I think I get the impression David has, has really found it sort of tough. And it was very sweet, you know, if, if you look at the... Um, a video from from later with Jules Holland. He unveils this Shelburne Kulak flag. I say that's the yeah. first time that's been done on British television, and, and that was his his, his, his friends. And um, you know, he, he wanted part of him to be um, on the on 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 the program as well as on the album. And he, he said a very interesting thing that he he almost feels sort of guilty that possibly something terrible that has happened might benefit his career. Yeah. And, and I mean, I speak to him for an hour, there, there is nothing even remotely explosive about what David is doing. This, this, no. this album comes from a place of absolute love. I, I've never, I'm actually quite moved by how much he loved his friend mm -hmm. and how tight his group of friends are. But this record is not an easy listen. I mean, it's some, some beautiful moments but by god you know if if, if you want to ruminate on grief that th this is a record as i say but it has light in the cracks you know whatever the phrase is you know that there is light that comes through but there's anger there's oh there's rage there's all sorts of emotions it, it, it's quite the listen and uh, you know to be honest with you that's next year's choice music prize winner sewn up now have you seen his billboards? Because they really stand out. If you see them down in town, you see signs with For Those I Love on them. And instead of saying Buy My Music, they have statistics about mental health, teen mental health on them. I think that is, I mean, they do stand out, but they stand out in a very 
it, it, it feels very genuine. You know, he's paid for this space and what he's using it for is not to say buy my music. It's to say, listen to what I have to say. Listen to what I care about. That's something the, that the, really affected uh, me a bit. I, I just get the impression he, he, he's, he's coming from entirely the right place. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and obviously, we, you know, we, we, we can't expect any musician to be a full-time mental health advocate and to solve all of our woes. You know, it, it, it's a piece of art that we must take and we must listen to and make of it what we will. But, I mean, it, it's such an articulate record. I suppose, you know, I'm not saying you can't be articulate at any age, but I suppose David is 29 he, he would probably admit that, you know, he, he, he's um, done counselling and work and uh, he's able now to articulate things yeah. perhaps in the way he, he really wants to. And, and the wordplay um, and the, the language, my God, it, it's so rich. You know, it's, it's, a, it's funny because one of the, the things, if you're in your 50s, a fear is that one day you might stop liking new music. And I would never want to be down with the kids and saying I like something if I didn't, because yeah. it's just, it, it, it's, you know, the Alan Partridge thing. And I'm sure I'm guilty of partridges. No, you're not guilty of partridgeisms at all, but I know exactly what you're talking about. You don't want to be that person. No. And you know why I, I gave up radio as a full-time thing, a music DJ? I was turning into Smash and Nicey. I was having to play stuff I wasn't enthused about. Mm. And... Mm. I, I could fake it reasonably well, but I thought yeah. I, I can't be for the rest of my life saying how great I think, I don't know who the artist would be. Back then it was pretty sort of Phil Collins. It's a long time since I've sort of, you know, done music radio. Yeah. But I just thought I, I can't do that. I, I really can't. Some people can. But, but thankfully, you know, every now and again, a record comes along that makes me feel like it did when I was 13 or 14 hearing a record and I get a bit obsessive about. And, and for those I love, yeah. I'm boring my, my, my partner. She's going, yeah, yeah, it's really good. But can we talk <laughs> about something apart from that? Maybe we could talk about, you know, doing the house up rather than sort of, you know, how, how important an artistic statement this record is 24-7. Well, the fact that it came from such a vulnerable place of his loss and it resonates with your story and music is just incredible. I think it's a real serendipitous thing. Yeah, it, it could be, and, and, and a record that perhaps is even more important. But what I love is he's produced this record. I hadn't seen the billboards. It doesn't surprise me. That um, you know, when it does come, and inevitably in the interviews, you, you make a record about loss, you're going to be asked about it. Yeah. He, he is a... And, and again, I, I don't think he wants to be a spokesperson for the working class or whatever, no. but he, artic he articulates the difficulties of growing up in an area which doesn't have the services it might do. He articulates the difficulties in, in accessing proper mental health if you can't pay for it extremely well. Uh, and I hope that what he says informs and educates and also shames a few people because... Yeah. You know, these empty platitudes, basically, you know, you have to have money really to access easily the kind of mental health treatment that everybody deserves. Do you have to stay on this and pivot slightly? Do you have a song that's your go to song when you're in a, a, a moment of like reflection or a song that you kind of return to to get you into a good mood? Do you have any songs like that? Um, I, I find, it's, this is a cliche, but I find Leonard Cohen um, very therapeutic. Because, he's a cliche because he's amazing, because he's yeah. so talented. But again, you know, laughing Lenny, th th there is humour there, dark humour sometimes. Yeah. 
a, a song that I listen to which actually makes me cry virtually every time, so I'll be playing it now, um, which actually purges it. I, I feel sadder and then better. It, it is Kirsty McCall's version of Days. I, I okay. adored Kirsty McCall. The obvious, you know, it's originally by the Kinks, and, and that's not a, a bad a bad version or the original version, but something about her version. Um, and the other one that I love, uh, and it's got a great line, I wish you'd never learned to weep. It's the lightning seeds pure. That again is just such a, 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 a tender song. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that's another one that I, I find always improves my mood. It's amazing how music has the ability to do that. I was just thinking earlier about the way it takes you back to certain times in your life and it can kind of get you through certain things. We're really, it's just really lucky to have it and we're really lucky to work in this industry. Thank you so much for sharing that story about your father. Um, what's his name again? Could you tell me one more time? Frank, Frank Leonard. May he rest in peace, Frank Leonard. Um, yeah. So let's move on then to a happier thing. So... With the lows in life always come the highs. So can you think of a high point in your life, your career, any time, any high point that stands out to you and tell us what it is and also how you got there? Um, I'm always accused of being a name dropper. I do apologize. But I, I think the single best moment of my life at the end of an interview is saying, Mr. Bowie, thank you for changing my life. Because... I was, um, in 1972, the famous uh, Top of the Pots appearance with Starman. Yeah. I was, um, <clears throat> excuse me, nine years of age. That's a cliche, but cliches exist because they're mainly true. Yeah, 100%. I, I remember stuff before then as being black and white, but after seeing David Bowie and the Spiders from Mars, I remember things being in colour. Wow. And... Um, I, I'm, I'm a rampant heterosexual, but <laughs> I, had a, I had a tingle. There was a tingle. Wow, yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, sexuality and charisma are very linked. And he looked like an alien, but a very attractive. I mean, those cheekbones, my goodness. And actually, I can still look at him from sort of Ziggy Stardust, Aladdin Sane era, and I, I get a tingle. Um, there was something about that guy. Yeah. I, I just played that record a million times, and everything seemed seemed possible. And, you know, he was from Beckenham, which was about 10 miles up the road. So I thought you could be fantastical and from Kent. That's, that's a revelation. Now, I, I was never going to be as fantastic as David or look as fantastic, but there's something about that. And of course, all, all, all the punk boys and girls were kind of looking at this and thinking, well, anything's possible. So I, I think, you know, Bowie was one of the founders of, 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 of punk, a, a new wave. And let's face it, virtually every movement. I mean, he made his mm -hmm. awful, duff records at the times. But that's because he, he, he took chances. He didn't sort of just make Ziggy Stardust 85 times. He, he, he moved on and, and, you know, he made records that people went awful. And then 10 or 15 years later, they go, hang on a second. Apart from Tim Machine, there was no excuse for that. But, um, you know, um, so, but to meet him, and again, you, you meet a musician and, and, and you get a snapshot. Maybe they're horrible people, but there just seemed to be a warmth. And I, I maintained what I, I think was a bit of professional dignity for, for the duration it's of difficult. the interview. Very difficult. I'm sure it was so hard. It's not easy. Um, I remember him just walking in. It was, it was the Clarence Hotel. He was doing a gig. What is now the Academy? It used to be the Hot Press uh, uh, HQ uh, Hall of Fame. 
And he was doing a glorified beer promotion. I forget the beer brand, but it was David Bowie, Placebo, and Talvin Singh in, in what is now the Academy. And I sat in the wow. front row. I'd interviewed him earlier. And he came on, if my memory serves me right, um, he just came on on his own and played Life on Mars at the piano. And it got progressively better after that. But it was interesting because uh, the end of the interview was asking me, like, you know, any artists I should sort of check out while I'm here. And I, I you know, Irish artists. And um, there was a 16-year-old girl working in the Hot Press Hall of Fame, sort of bringing cups of tea and things. And she'd mm. sent into you know, David Bowie. So she was shaking anyhow. And he said, do you have a moment? And she was like, I said, um, what are you listening to? Uh, and she gave him some, some more, more, more youthful tips of, of Irish artists. Uh-huh. And uh, he, he sent uh, one of his people down to the Virgin Megastore to stock up on, on, on records to take home with him, oh, wow. which I just thought was, you know, and there was a while I was interviewing virtually every single hip English band, Franz mm-hmm. Ferdinand, Arctic Monkeys. They'll go, you'll never believe who came to my gig in New York, uh, David Bowie. Oh, he would go and see every single wow new band that was passing through town wow. so what i loved about him was he, he, he didn't atrophy uh and maybe part of his problem was he was too tr- trying too hard on occasion to be down with the kids but he wasn't doing it because he was being calculated he just wanted to connect with people um what i also found impressive that day is he basically sort of told me the next 20 years of the internet he was a very early adopter and he got his what head did around he predict? how did he predict it did he well, know about I, Twitter? Did he know about YouTube? Yeah, kind of in, you know, he said, I think it's going to be and there'll be faster sort of, you know, tight speeds. We'll be able to do live this and that. And we'll be able to, you know, be about connecting directly. And independent artists will be able to sort of, you know, maybe bypass the record labels. I mean, maybe this wasn't sort of, you know, kind of. But it struck me then and thinking back now that it was a, it was a pretty, pretty good idea of the template. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other time I, I, I've had something like that was I was um, years ago at Daily Mount Park. And um, there was a guy across from, from a big management company who was involved with a band from uh, Kilkenny called My Little Funhouse, um, who was sort of snapped up as a, a new Guns N' Roses. It never quite happened. Great, mm-hmm. great band. And, and this guy was working for, for a big uh, management company. And he basically predicted the next 10 years of music. And I was yeah. going, bloody hell. Because back then, the industry could dictate. Now they can't as much because, yeah. you know, we've all got access. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was, like, basically sort of predicting rap metal. It had been decided in the boardroom that this was the wow. thing that was going to be big. And lo and behold, for five or ten years, we had some awful stuff like Papa Roach and Kid Rock. But... I, I'm not sure the record industry can can actually tell us what to do now for 10 years anymore. And that's a blessing. Well, I'm grateful for Jay-Z's collab with Linkin Park. If nothing yeah. Else, I'm grateful yeah, it was the odd, there was the odd moment. And, you know, Aerosmith and Rum DMC was, yeah. was, 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 a, was a work of genius. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, there were some 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 good good moments, but, but Kid Rock definitely didn't produce any of them. <laughs> so how did you get to the point where you were interviewing David Bowie? Um, I would have done local newspaper stuff and I, I, I would have sent stuff in, I used to live in Limerick and um, very fortuitously um, I knew this band called the, the Cranberry Saurus uh, had a very hairy lead singer, not Dolores, uh, Niall Quinn, because he was the lead singer um, first oh, really? of all. That's yeah. I didn't know yeah. that actually. Yeah. And they were 
you know, a, a bog standard indie band. The, the, the short version of a long story is Niall was in a band called The Hitches. He was the drummer. Okay. If you're the drummer, you're not allowed to sing. And they didn't like his songs. So in a bit of a, a hissy fit, he said, I'm going to start my own band. You'll be sorry. Starts the Cranberry Source. The Hitches went, look, no, no, no. We're really sorry. We've got a John Peel session coming up. And he thought, oh, God, John Peel session. So feeling guilty, he asked around and a female friend of his who's at Laurel Hill School went, I, I know this girl who sings in the choir. She might be good. He went, oh, yeah, she'll be perfect. And sent her down. The rest of the crowd was going, oh, my God, because she arrived in a pink tracksuit and she had a little Bon Tempe kind of keyboard under her arm and dee 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 dee. Then proceeded to sing, I think, Nothing Compares to You wow. in a Sinead O'Connor style and blew them away. Uh-huh. But I knew the lads and then I got to know Dolores and I did their first press release and they paid me with a bottle of Jack Daniels. It was singly the best bit of work I've ever done mm-hmm. uh, in terms of remuneration. And um, it, it was fascinating because I, I've never been around a band I don't think I ever will do because things have changed, who went from the worst kind of youth club band because she was so nervous at first to selling 30 million albums. It was just kind of like, how did this happen? And um, it was a privilege to know Dolores. She, I tell you what, she had the most wicked sense of humour. Um, I can totally imagine that. She could cut you down. She'd yeah. be really funny. She was good company, great on the beer. Um, really, uh, it, was, it was sad to see her suffer. And, and then, of course, to later mm. find out, you know, the, the, the cause of many of her problems was, was being abused by, by a, sort of somebody locally when she was younger. But anyway, you know, I, I followed that. But I, I kind of sort of got a couple of reviews um, printed because I was on the scene and word mm-hmm. was beginning to, 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 to build about the cranberries. And bit by bit, they said, oh, well, do you want to interview somebody else and you know I, I did a few phone interviews with I remember very early on with OMD mm-hmm. um, your man was lovely uh, that petrol emotion stiff little fingers um, and because I was sort of available at short notice and could spoof I suppose a little bit with anybody um, mm-hmm. if, if suddenly they something happened last minute they'd give me a call could you do and I was oh yes I, I've always been a fan of X. Um, yeah. You know, I didn't turn anything down. No. And and bit by bit, I sort of, you know, endeared myself to them, I think, or they're desperate, and I, I got a staff job. And um, I was very fortunate to do so. And, 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 and that, you know, has allowed me to... One of the things I was saying earlier about liking new records, um, yeah. I, 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 I haven't lost the fandom, and I'm grateful for that. And it's interesting because you interview some bands... And you really get a sense that it, it is a job. And, and, and you know, I'll give an example. Very nice man, John Bon Jovi. He, he's really at the helm of a corporation. Yeah. Uh, he could be selling John, baked yeah. beans. Mm-hmm. Could, I, I got the sense from him that he you know, puts on a good show, yeah. but he went to work and it was the job. Yeah. You, you, you meet, and again, I'm going to clang here, but you, you talk to Bruce Springsteen and he's still a fan. Yeah. Joe Elliott. Joe Elliott is one of the wealthiest rock stars in the world. He's sold... Mm-hmm trillions of records and he's still obsessing about glam rock bands from 1971 and and would probably you know faint with excitement if he, if he met some of them and you're going this is brilliant joe you've managed to go through all of this and you remain yeah. as big a fan as you ever were as a kid and that, that's 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 some achievement um it really is yeah joe, joe strummer who's a, another guy I got to meet and hang out with and i, I just love dearly love dearly 
I mean, the man was, he just had this, this gas blast and about 80 cassettes. And you'd be trying to interview him and he'd go, oh, let me play a bit of Colombian music. <laughs> I've just got this, this has been sent to me from El Salvador. And you'd be like, but, but Joe, the clown, oh yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that later. Now, I've got something here from, from Botswana. Uh, incredible. Um, and his energy was, was just amazing. So do you feel that the thing that's really fueled you in your music career has been the fact, has been the passion? You have a real genuine passion for it. Well, music is the superior art. Um, you know, I love film, I love TV, but to me, music is is, is magic. Yeah. Um, you know, a bad song's a bad song, but I, I I don't play. That's why I became a journalist. To me, it's still alchemy. Yeah. I, I listen to a good record and I go, how did you create this? You know, I, I just sort of uh, very admiring of musicians with, with a vision and, how they can cr- create this sort of body of work. Um, one of the things I, I, I really, really miss, Hot Press is a funny magazine. You know, there's, yeah. I suppose there are equivalents, sort of, but see, we're a small market and, and we're quite broad in what we do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've got people writing for, for us in their 70s and people writing for us in their teens. And that's yeah. really unusual. Yeah, it's well, really, I, really unusual. Hot really Press unusual. is a very individual kind of a beast. It is, and that's because you know the guy that started it and owns it is the yeah. editor. Because what we saw with Q recently, people were like, how, how, how did they get rid of Q? It was loved. Mm. But this was a company that probably owns titles like Aquarium Monthly or Budgerigar Fortnightly. <laughs> and they're looking through, this is you know Bauer Media, they're going to look through the plus and minus and go, Q Magazine's losing money, Budgerigar Fortnightly's making a fortune, so yeah. we'll keep that one, we'll get rid of Q. Yeah. Whereas Ni- yeah. this has been Niall's you know, his life and, and his partner Maureen's life. So they have just fought to, tooth and nail. Um, they also like to nurture young talent. But what I, what I really miss is, is, you know, when we have the odd spare half hour, we've got an open plan office, be about 12 different people. What are you listening to? And mm-hmm. have you heard this? And, oh, God, it's a brilliant new video. And it's not very scientific, but through that, you kind of get to hear about pretty much that everything's sort of going on domestically. Um, so, you know, that, that, that dynamic, I, I, I really, really miss because, you know, you can always discover something new you, you, with music. You can never turn around and say, that's it. I finished now. I, I know everything about it. Um, some people do their tastes atrophy. And, and, you know, when people sort of say to me, oh, it was, it was better in the seventies, you go, no, it was different in the seventies. It was good for a different yeah. reason. And if you can't find good music now, you're a bit of an Egypt. You know, so anybody who says Tom, yeah. Tom Petty was the last decent artist to come out of America, which someone did say to me recently, you say, well, he came out oh of America God. in 1979. Jesus. All right. Uh, now, he doesn't work for Hot Press. I hasten to add. I, I won't embarrass him. I should do. But um, I just nah, thought, how can you him, say that? Nice. Leave him be. This time, yeah. Yes, yes. I, I vehemently disagree with that. And I hate that type of rhetoric. Some A big thing, actually, that we've done on QFM, because we focus very heavily on Irish music as well. And I've said to all of our specific Irish music DJs, do a playlist that's two hours of artists that I've never heard of. And you'll get mm. a gold star. And that's how we've <laughs> operated. And it's been fantastic because through all of our DJs, I've, I've had an incredible opportunity to learn about new music coming out of our country. And it's just, it's incredible. You're right. It is very much a superior art form. What I'm loving about what you're saying is, I, I, I said it a, a minute ago, but I'll say it again. Your passion for music is literally like, almost like nothing I've ever heard before. And I've interviewed 
lots of musicians. Um, could, can you trace that back to where it comes from? Do you remember the first time you heard a song or anything like that? Um, I mean, I, I suppose those Johnny Cash records, I, I just knew there's something special about that. Uh, you know, I, I, I just had to, to T-Rex and Slade and all that kind of carry on. But the first artist that I felt belonged to me, and that's the stamp collector and a you know, music fan, was David Bowie. Mm. I, 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 did, I, I didn't understand that he also belonged to millions of other people who felt the same way, but he was mine. Yeah. You know, he was mine. And then, then I was very fortunate as well. I'm not going to say it was better, but I think whatever you get into when you're 13 or 14 will have a very special resonance when you're 16. Yeah. And, you know, I was in the right place at the right time with punk. I was just old enough to bully my parents or, or, or my mum, rather, into, um, in, in, into um, actually, no, dad was a rather part of punk. He was, he was. Uh, it's funny how the, the mind plays tricks with, with, with the timeline. But I, I managed to sort of, you know, break them and I got some of the early punk gigs. There was a basic rule, if I could be home by, you know, the last train I could go. Mm-hmm. So I got to see the, the Clash and X-Ray Specs and the Dams in, in, in their first sort of wave. And, and it was an incredibly exciting time. Again, you felt part of it. You know, one week you go to a gig and there'd be 500 punks and the next week there'd be a 1,000 and it grew. And you see all these great characters. Like I can remember seeing this guy all the time in a Union Jack blazer and he's really well known. I was saying, like, who's that? And it's like, oh, that's Shane O'Hooligan. Oh, right, from the Nipple Erectors. Yeah, Shane McGowan. Wow. Who does not does not wow. like being reminded? Oh my he, God! Wow! Does not like being reminded about that Union Jack blazer um, for some <laughs> for some strange reason. It doesn't quite fit in with the the, the post nipple erectors narrative. Stop! I literally did not know that Shane McGowan wore a Union Jack blazer. He did on one or two occasions. Yeah, yeah, and he had part of his ear bitten off for a famous punk gig that I wasn't at. Um, so he became yeah. a real, but I mean, you know, I, I, I've met Shane and, and Shane's a funny character, obviously, in, in terms of talking to, but he has moments of clarity. When he has moments of clarity, he is a great guy to talk to. We, yeah. we actually, what one night at 6.30 in the morning, we, we, we were probably both on about the same wavelength for different reasons. And um, we had this most wonderful conversation about punk. And, and he's you know, we had half an hour talking about gigs with Bean and going, yeah, I was at that one too. And um, that was a really, again, a great privilege to be able to talk to Shane about punk rock. Uh, that was great. That's, a, God, wow. Shane and a, punk is, a, so punk seems like a really special time to have been kind of having your formative years. I'm not surprised it gave you that passion. What do you think is the modern punk? Because I know what I think it is, but I'd be interested to hear your perspective. Well, I suppose punk to me, it was always about doing your own thing, but also doing it, getting in and getting out sort of a thing. Um, I, I see a lot of similarities between punk and, and drill. Um, you know, a lot of the London drill artists, and, and yeah. indeed from and Drogheda. Grime. grime. Grime and drill. I mean, who'd have thought we'd be talking about a Drogheda drill scene? But I mean, officer. Literally is, no one, and yet here we are. He's a phenomenon. Yeah. You know, 25 million streams in the UK. I, I, I you know, I've spoken to, 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 to some of my, my mum's younger neighbours and, you know, sort of mentioned officer and they say, well, the kids yeah. have mentioned he's from Ireland. We'll, we'll, you know, ask Stuart, does he know about them? And I'm going, this is amazing. Um, like, of course I know about him. How do you know about, <laughs> about them? Um, so that's incredible. So I, I see that in, in, in grime and drill, I mean, the attitude. I mean, I, I think it's very punk rock 
to make a track in, in, in your bedroom. Um, yeah, so, do so, I. so the attitude of being a punk is, is certainly not having a Mohican and, and banging on about the Sex Pistols, which I'm banging on about now, but not, not seeing it as being the, 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 the be-all and end-all. If you see punks with means, I mean, there's nothing less punk rock than Green Day. I mean, it's just... Oh, really? Ah. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna uh, take you up on the punk side of it, but I really have a special place in my heart for Green Day, probably because I discovered them when I was 13, 14, 15. Well, you see, there is the old man in me, and 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 there's something that I, I, I one of my journalist friends has this great line: you know, the courage of your contradictions. So. Um, I remember, you know, I was playing the jam. My brother came in and said, oh, it sounds like the who. And I went, oh, whatever, you know, you know old, old fogey, old fart. But, you know, I'm, I'm probably being guilty. You know, if you hear Green Day when you're 13, yeah. it's fresh and new. Yeah. And again, yeah. I, I ought to also point out before someone corrects me that, you know, they, they did come from a very grassroots punk scene. Mm-hmm. And they did sleep on sofas in Dublin after playing The Attic to 60 people. So, you know, they, they, they had their thing going. But I just remember going to see them play the Three Arena and they had toilet roll guns. And it was just kind of like... That's that's not yeah. punk rock to me. Slavishly like... copying. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you first. No, I was just going to say about Green Day, right? Because I genuinely do have a special place for Green Day. And something that is special to me about Green Day is um, they were protesting the Iraq war. That whole album, American Idiot, is protest music against Bush going to war and against kind of the post 9-11 invasion of Iraq. I think that's very punk because we don't remember it now, particularly people my age don't remember it now, but that Bush invading Iraq, Bush and Blair invading Iraq in the early 2000s, post 9-11, was really viewed by almost everyone as the right decision. You know what I'm being... They were the ones going against it. Them and the Dixie Chicks, also quite punk. That was incredible um, because that did not go... Look, I am am being a complete hypocrite, the hypocrisy of a music fan, because I I, I was going to quote a Joe Strummer lyric, you know, turning Mm. rebellion into money. You know, and I I think with Green Day, I'm cynical enough. But when The Clash was singing about turning rebellion into money, they're on CBS Records with a major record deal. So you know what? Each to their own. I just, um, so music is... Can I actually pull you up on something there? Because you, over the summer, published an apology. um, Unprecedented. I I hadn't seen something like that from you before or from Mm. Hot Press in recent times. Um, And this idea of separating the art from the artist is very, very, very current. There's a lot of people Mm. who love art by certain people and they now are having to come to the ter- to terms with the fact that they can't support that person. They can't support that person's art because of what that person has done. Um, so you posted an article on Hot Press, um, an apology about Versatile. Do you want to talk about that for a second? I made a cardinal sin. I wrote a piece in, in good faith. I decided on other people's behalf what was offensive. I have no right as a male in his 50s to decide what people, uh, black people, people of color find offensive. Um, And I was very lucky to talk to some friends of mine um, from the black community who had the good grace to to talk me through some of the issues. And 
either support of people like God knows. And uh, I learned a lot from that. Um, it, it's not from, I, I, I can be an ally, but I, I, I cannot make value calls on behalf of other people. And, and as I say, I, I was trying to come from a good place. I got it totally wrong. And I upset some people who, this who I... the original article. Yeah, people I admire enormously were upset. And I listened to them and I understand why they're upset. And, you know, I, the apology was heartfelt. And, and, and I feel I learned uh, something from it. I, I, I think what is good now is that when you get new communities in a country, Often they can be socially disadvantaged or they don't have access to, to the media. And it was funny, I, I remember meeting the editor of a magazine called The Voice, which was a black community newspaper in the 60s and 70s in the UK. And I, I, I met him just as The Voice was, was closing. And I said, it's really sad to see you close. And yeah. he went, no, it's not sad. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, it's mission accomplished. He said, we now have representation. There are now black newsreaders. There are now black professors. Across the board, we have representation. And um, what I think is good now is that the different communities that make Ireland such a, a rich place are not relying on, 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 on white Irish to speak on their behalf. They, they can speak on their own behalf and they're speaking with great articulation. I, 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 I got to spend Zoom time with, um, with Denise Chayla hugely impressive hugely hugely I'm impressive obsessed with her obsessed with her and can i say that i've been a bit of a hipster fan of denise shyla for a minute i've loved her since she first released copper bullet um was that was that was that experience with versatile i i don't i don't doubt for a single second that you wrote the original article because i read the original article at the time and i i you know took it as took it as took it at face value i didn't particularly know them as a band i i don't really consider what they're doing to be hip-hop though i would consider it to be comedy would you agree with me on that maybe i i don't think it's funny but i would consider it to be you know comedy that's what i would consider it to be i i just listened to the people who were offended by versatile yeah and i understand and they are valid reasons um and, and I suppose that that's really all I can say about it, that, um, you know, um, people must make their own minds up. But, but, but I, I, I understand why people are upset with, with some of the content of that article. And as I say, the, the takeout is that you, you, you cannot decide what other people should find offensive in that area. I mean, obviously, if you're talking about music you, you can have a say about whether you like a record or not or film or you know you've got yeah. to have your own opinions mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but this is a, a very specific area where I, I i just don't think you can you can have an opinion but you, you can't make judgment calls you know on, on on people's behalf so 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 that that's how i feel on it and i i feel very you know grateful that people um were, were willing to listen to to to, to, to that apology to to feel it was, it was heartfelt. I mean, some people perhaps didn't, but but, but I, I I can't you know begin to thank some of those people who spoke to me uh, at the time to explain to me why they found it problematic. Um, that was good of them, very gracious of them, and uh, yeah.
do you do that with other artists? Do you have moments where you have supported people in the past and you've had to make that decision? Like with Marilyn Manson, is this something that you've kind of been doing a lot of recently or is this more of a new issue? Um, no, I mean, to be honest with you, I'd have been, as a kid, a huge Gary Glitter fan. Um, and that really felt horrible. I mean, it was obviously that, disgusting. That's very traumatic, I think, to have been a fan of someone like that for you. Yeah. That would be really hard. I, I, going back years and years ago, worked with a guy who was a bit older. Um, we shared a house, a big house, about six or seven different people. It's a radio station. And, uh, you know, looking back, I could say he was a, a bit removed. He, he had a younger girlfriend, not, not in, improperly, you know, she was late 20s. He was what sort of mid 30s. And I found out a few years later mm. that um, he appalling. Uh, he was sentenced about seven years for, for, for child pornography and, and related mm. offences. And, you know, it, it, it is deeply shocking to, and this guy would have been a little bit of a hero of mine in, ter in, in radio terms um of course a, 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 any shock that i might have felt pales into insignificance co compared to, to to the victims yeah but the gary glitter thing i, I love gary glitter and it, 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 it was it was part of my childhood sort of like oh my god mm. and um you know there are so many artists from sort of back then i i, I don't well Glitter, obviously, was, was uh, one of the most uh, heinous um, sort of uh, cases, and Jimmy Savile. But th th this argument that it was the norm back then, it, it, it doesn't wash, you know, there was just no excuse for what happened. And, uh, you know, um, I think nowadays the media is obviously not as sort of closely controlled. It, it's interesting with Savile, I think it's quite well known now that, you know, in a unbroadcast interview john lyden johnny rotten you know made, made allusions in sort of like uh, uh 1977 1978 um to to to, to, to being a, a pedophile um so i i can only assume that it was quite commonly known but yeah nobody did anything about it you know um yeah, yeah. on a slightly more positive note of all of that um the idea of separating the art from the artist is something that obviously everyone in the Irish music scene, myself included, went through with Versatile. You were very much not alone in that. Everybody had to learn a lesson um, on that one. And I feel grateful for it actually myself. Um, but what do you think, something actually that has been, I think, a really great silver lining of all that happening has been the light being shone on artists of color in this country because we have so many and they're all so incredibly talented so could you maybe pick one or two favorites well i i, I just think everything that comes out of the narrow lane stable denise yeah god yeah. knows and merley um I, I was lucky enough to, to sort of meet uh, G, as I call him, I, I can't quite call him God, uh, although he had godlike <laughs> qualities. Does he? Because um, I haven't actually met him. I've sp I've spoken to him over DMs, but would you call him God in real life? I, I, I don't. I, I I call him G. I call him okay. G, and and and, and <laughs> like Merley. Um, <laughs> do you know what? They, they they're such amazingly positive guys. Yeah. Um, and what they've made happen to, to develop this scene, they, they, they still go into schools. Denise was saying to me that, you know, she, she, when she can, 
um, and hopes to in the future. You know, going into a class mm. and, and, and making connection with kids is one of the the, the privileges of, of making music. Yeah, and it's really, um, special, yeah. It, it's really special. And 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 they've sort of given, you know, a whole new generation of of, of kids the, the the tools to start making music. Mm. Um, it was funny. I, I was on the Pat Kenny show one day doing my review thing. And um, it was very early days. And I said, first of all, sort of Pat, I said, I think it's probably the first hip-hop album I've seen that says thank you to Clare County Council on the back. But I said <laughs> what, it, it's... What album was that? It, it was the first um, Russ and Garno family album, okay. um, Let the Dead Bury the Dead. And uh, so he, he, he chortled away. And I said, they're, they're your typical, um, I said, um, Irish band. I said, uh, yeah. one of the guys comes from Togo, one comes from Zimbabwe, and the other one comes from Ennis. Um, Love it. I, and what is not known about Mr. Kenny actually is he has become quite the connoisseur of of, of rap music. Not so much necessarily. I'm not saying he's at home. Love that. Love not that. Ne- he's not necessarily listening to Kendrick Lamar, but he is reading the liner notes and he's reading the lyrics. He finds it fascinating because he says it, you know it is social commentary. It's the great polemics of of its day is coming. I'm sure there are some fantastic black authors right you know writing about sort of issues of empowerment um indeed there are but you know it, it's in bite-sized form you, you listen to, to kendrick and he sees that it's being really important to social commentary and i think he's right um yeah so that's kind of interesting but you know narrow lane really what they've achieved in limerick uh is is and the repeat you know the 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 the, the drill scene in drada with officer and the guys again what they've achieved is is hugely impressive and it's so incredible and both of those uh people you just mentioned they're on a budget of of zero and they're doing all this incredible stuff yeah I i think go bravely was done in 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 the living room of the the house they they share yeah um and everything they do if they even a photo shoot, they make it sort of sort of seem special. They have an idea for for everything. Yeah. Um, if, if Denise is on TV, there's always something a bit different she does. The, the way she looks, the way mm-hmm. she works, the camera, the way she communicates. Um, I, I just find that re and, and, and the acceleration in that they were very good, but now they're distracted. They, they get better. They they haven't sort of plateaued yet um another band that sort of excite me at the moment a, a, a rock band a, a, a new dad and they remind me of the cranberries not so much sonically but the fact is that you know three months ago they're at this level and now they're at this level and each new song is a quantum leap on the last one um they're a band i think you know we'll see what happens in the next year or two but they're quite incredible and again I can't, I, I'm enjoying For Those I Love's current album, but I really can't wait to see where he takes it. Yeah. We're very, very, very lucky to be from such a tiny country that has such, a, such an incredible breadth of talent, aren't we? Well, I can remember once Greek TV coming over uh, and asking me... Greek in a TV? Sa- Greek TV, oh, Greek wow. TV. And asked me for a soundbite about Irish music. And I, I was able to kind of tell them pretty much what was going on in, in, in 30 seconds. Yeah. But now you need the whole afternoon. You actually would. You literally would. You'd need the whole afternoon just to talk about one genre. I mean, you've got everything from obviously sort of, you know, officer doing the drill thing. 
You've got David Holmes, one of the leading film and TV soundtrackers in the world. You've got old trad, you've got new trad with Lancome, which has been uh, a real, uh, no one I don't I think. I love Lancome so much. Yeah, the, the renewal of, of, of the tradition has been quite incredible. And, uh, you know, the fact that it's being picked up, you know, by, by the likes of Rough Trade. Yeah. Who, who would have thought that trad would be hip again? Um, you know, <laughs> I, I suppose there was always good trad if you weren't looking for it, which yeah. was usually in the pub. 100%, um, yeah. And, and, you know, unfortunately, it became rather Disneyfied and Oyshified and Darby O'Gilled for a while. Yeah. But now, you know, Langham is as raw as anything. Mm. Um, so... I, th- I think you're right. The, the, the breadth of what's happening here is, is just incredible. The fact we've got those pop scenes as well now. Yeah. Um, we, we do commercial well. We do underground well. We do bicep. You know, that there's another part of the equation. Just incredible. And also, just when you think you've discovered everything, you'll discover something really random. Like, I've recently been... I, I didn't know, and this is probably my... I don't know. I, it's, a, it's a gap in my knowledge. I didn't know how crazy about American country music they are in Ulster. And how much they love it, and how much of it they make. Oh God! I mean, it, it, it's incredible. I mean, I, I I do find country and Irish morbidly fascinating. Yeah, um, <laughs> and and the dedication to the cause. Like, I'll be honest. To me, it's it's not country music. I'm I'm sorry. I'm being, I'm being a snob. And every time no, they have no. a late, every time they have a late late sort of country special, yeah. and they're like shouting, you know, on my own at the screen, going, "It's not country." You know, why do you have Loretta Lynn on or Margot Price or, oh, God, um, it, it, it's not. But you know what? Um, I have interviewed um, Daniel O'Donnell, a very nice man. I actually told Daniel O'Donnell to F off, um, which is a claim to fame. Wow. He's I, a very agreeable seeming guy. How did that happen? Well, I was working for a local paper and, and he was playing a local venue and I thought, oh, you know, an interview because it's quite a mainstream paper. So I phoned up his manager and said, look, you know, could I interview Daniel being a bit naive because he's a big star and his manager said, oh, thank you for, you know, phoning up. But Daniel's very, very busy. I don't think he'd be able to do that. And sorry about that. So all my sort of colleagues thought it was highly hilarious that I was asking to uh, interview Daniel O'Donnell. So I went to lunch, came back, and the phone rang. So I said, oh, it's Daniel O'Donnell for you. And there was like two or three phones in different parts of the building. <laughs> Prank calls were known to be, to be made or perpetrated. Yeah, so I yeah. picked up the phone and just went, will you ever F off? <laughs> I was like, sorry? Ah, Daniel. Um, yes. What did you say to him? Uh, I thought it was a prank call. I thought it was thought, I thought it was somebody else. So, sorry, sorry about the mix. It looked very kind of you. And he, he, he didn't bat an eyelid. And, you know, he, he came down, played that gig. It was raining, and he spent three hours outside the stage door signing autographs. So I'll say many things about Daniel O'Donnell, but his um, affiliation with his fans is, is, is quite amazing. And I, I, I do actually completely respect the fact that he's been on top of the pops. He's still at the high, you know, top of his game. He's played Vegas and it's been a hell yeah. of a career, even if the music, I, you know, it's kind of, usually you can find something good in all music, but mm-hmm. no, I can find good in Daniel as a person and as, an art, as, a, as a working musician. Mm. So uh, again, you know, each to their own. 
Actually, on Daniel O'Donnell, very quickly, I have I had a relative who was in a care home for a long time and he played at the care home and he was so kind and he met everyone and he spoke to everyone and he was just incredible. So yeah, team Daniel O'Donnell. Can't believe you told him to F off. That is <laughs> hysterical. Yes. Um, listen, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you so much for so much of your time. You're just um, such an interesting and so much passion. I'm in awe of how much passion you have and how much passion you've maintained over a long and an incredible career um, in music. Stuart, thank you for thank you for talking to me today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you.